The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Great to have you along after last night's program. Um, I'm still a little bit in awe of uh, our discussion last night, certainly not because of anything I did, but because of the guests that we had. I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Dr. Sarah Wecht. And when I was editing the program um, with Slick today, uh, we listened to it again and, and just some amazing things that Dr. Wecht said last night. Uh, we you know, happily posted the edited versions of the program on YouTube and also on our podcast uh, platform. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to those or you want to re-listen to them, do, because it's well worth the time. And I would also ask that you share them with people. You must know folks that like true crime. You must know folks that have seen Dr. Wecht on a program or a, a documentary film or something along the way that would get an, uh, an, have an interest in what he had to say last night, because I thought it was terrific and I had a great time talking with him last night. Tonight will be no exception. We've got another great guest for uh, you tonight. Mike Ricksecker is joining the program again. He's been on a few times, and we always love having him on. He'll be talking about his research and his books related to shadow people, paranormal activity, and the Alaska Triangle. That'll be an interesting discussion. Uh, I think last time he was on, we were talking about shadow people, but that topic never gets old. And in fact, there's always more to talk about, more questions to ask as it relates to shadow people, what they are, why they appear the way they appear, that kind of thing. And thank you for the compliments in the chat room regarding last night's interview. I appreciate that as well for everyone who is saying those kind things. Thank you. So, again, we've got a lot to talk about with our good friend Mike Ricksecker tonight. Looking forward to this conversation, as I always do when he is on the show. So we'll take a break, and when we come back... Uh, we will have Mike with us, and we'll begin this conversation. It is beyond reality. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself... What is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Anyway, welcome back to the program. We've got a great one for you, as I mentioned. This week has been filled with great programs. We had Scotty Roberts on. We had Dr. Sarah Wecht on. And tonight we've got good friend Mike Ricksecker on. Mike, of course, is an author and a paranormal researcher. He's written many books, including A Walk in the Shadows, Ghosts of Maryland, Ghosts and Legends of Oklahoma, and others. Mike, what book are you most proud of? That's a great way to start the program. It's like it's like uh, picking which child you're you're most <laughs> proud of, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for having me uh, on, JV. You know, that's a really tough question because, you know, I, I think everybody's first book, the first one that gets published is, you know, that, that one that you worked on for years that finally broke you through and, mm -hmm. you know, you were able to, you know, get your name out there and your foot in the door. So, um, so that one always, you know, holds dear to me, Deadly Airs, uh, which was actually a mystery novel. Uh, but this, this last one, A, a Walk in the Shadows, uh, a complete guide to shadow people, um, you know, has, has been really special for me because it, it really goes back to my very early influences in the field of the paranormal and some of the very first experiences that I had had. And I got to, you know, interview and talk to so many other people about this uh, same phenomenon that they had experienced. And, you know, it's really snowballed over the last year because it came out back in January now. And this, this year, even with COVID, uh, this has really snowballed and we're going in so many different directions with this topic now. It's been absolutely fascinating. Yeah, we're going to have a good time talking about that book and those ideas um, as we chat tonight. But I want to ask you about writing fiction versus nonfiction. I, I forget that you also uh, wrote some fiction. Uh, is it a different process for you when you write fiction versus nonfiction? Well, yeah, you know, it's, it's it's almost a different side of the brain that you're using to uh, to put that together. And I, I try to incorporate elements of my creative fiction writing into the nonfiction that I write. So you'll see areas, 
in my writing, which I might get a little flowery or, or what have you. Uh, but, it, but it is a bit of a, a different process for sure. Um, and, and we don't need to go too deep into the publishing process. But, yeah, it, it is a bit different. When you started writing nonfiction stuff, um, how much research or investigating maybe had you done prior to deciding, okay, you know what, I've collected a lot of really cool stuff. I've got to start talking about this in the form of a book. Yeah, that's a great question. And the paranormal is something that I've been involved with some way, shape, or form really for the past 30 years. And I mean, honestly, this JV, this is one of those things with the writing aspect that kind of fell into my lap because I'd already been involved for a while. I'd been doing a, a number of different things really behind the scenes. And I, I had the first book out, uh, Deadly Airs. And what ended up happening was uh, my my publisher for my first uh, couple of books, Ghosts of Maryland, Ghosts and Legends of Oklahoma, Campfire Tales, Midwest, um, the editor had approached me and said, hey, you know, I, I know that you're a fiction writer, but I see that you do have uh, quite a big interest in the paranormal, and we're looking to expand our line of paranormal books, and you live in Maryland. Would you entertain the idea of writing a book on Ghosts of Maryland? And, of course, I immediately jumped right onto that. So it wasn't one of those where I'd collected a bunch of information and decided to write about it. I was very fortunate in that it came to me and I, I've I've had this question kind of thrown at me a lot lately and this is the way I've uh, answered it. I think the universe basically came to me and it kind of steered me in the direction I needed to be headed. Yes, fiction was always part of my background. Really, writing was always a part of my background, but I think the universe said, hey, Mike, that's great that you're doing something with your writing and you're getting published now, but this is the way you need to go with it. Have you always been a believer in paranormal ideas such as ghosts or shadow people or any of these phenomena, or did it, was it something you had to evolve into? I've pretty much always believed in it um, ever since I was very young. Of course, I had some experiences when I was very young, um, but even when you know, I started writing when I was seven years old. Yeah, I was writing little mysteries and, right. and what have you, but I was also writing uh, ghost stories and, and historic fiction, if you can imagine historic fiction from a seven-year-old. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but, yeah, it was something I had always believed in, and, you know, one of my very first significant experiences was with a shadow person. So this is something that's always been there for me. So... One of your first experiences was with a shadow person. Tell us, can you remember enough of it to, to kind of tell us what happened? Oh, absolutely. It's very vivid. And I start right off with that in Chapter 1 of A Walk in the Shadows. And basically what had happened was I was about eight years old. I woke up in the middle of the night, and there was this tall, dark figure standing in the corner of my room. Now, at that age, of course, I had no idea that you called it a shadow person or that such things like that really existed. I thought that there was an intruder in the house and yeah. it was about to kill me. Cause right. you know, that's about what you think at that age. Sure. Uh, so, you know, I, yeah, I, I tried to scream my mouth open. Nothing came out because I was just too frightened. And this thing did something very unusual. It actually approached my bed, leaned over, grabbed me by the wrists, pulled my arms across my body and crossed them. And then it ran off down the hall, and I, I turned my head, and I watched it as it ran into, of all places, a closet. So I finally found my legs, found my voice, ran off screaming to my parents' room. Uh, you know, they're, they're very nice parents. Uh, you know, they just consoled me, calmed me down, tried to tell me that I just had a bad dream, but yeah. I was awake for this entire incident. Yeah, and uh, I want to get to this in a little more detail when we start talking uh, more about shadow people in particular. But, you know, the behavior that you just described in that particular encounter, um, it, it's. do you find that, in retrospect, to have been a little bit unusual for what we would normally know as a shadow person? Well, it is, actually. I mean, shadow people can be interactive, but usually yeah. people report that they're standing there 
in the corridor room or at the end of the bed. Or and peeking, peeking, at peeking around a corner. Watchers. Yeah, peeking around a corner, that kind of thing. I mean, that's typically those those type of kind of standoffish uh, sightings are what I'm used to hearing about. And it's it's these more nefarious beings like the Hat Man or some of these other creatures that actually um, seem to be more prone to the physical interaction or the more menacing approach. And I don't know if you felt that was menacing uh, at the time or in retrospect, um, but it certainly did approach you. So uh, do you believe this was the purest form of what we would call a shadow person, or could this have been maybe a variation of Hatman or something along those lines? Well, I, I think it was certainly a uh, what we would call a true shadow person. Okay. And what, what I think a true shadow person is is an interdimensional being. And this one definitely had physicality to it, to the point where it was able to interact with me. And there are various different types of, of shadow entities, and there are nefarious ones. There are also many that are very benign. You just see a shadow run down the hall, or even the ones that are standing there in your room yeah. aren't necessarily nefarious. It might be very, very creepy, but not necessarily uh, nefarious. But but this one, yeah, in retrospect, um, I've, I've had to take a hard, long look at this because, yes, as a child, I was extremely frightened. Was I frightened because it was doing something uh evil or was I frightened just because I was a kid and I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. And I think it was the latter. And I've, I've had some people, I've had a lot of conversations about this uh, particular incident. And there have been some people that have suggested that perhaps it thought that while I was laying there, that I was actually dead and it was mm. putting me into a burial pose, like something out of ancient Egypt, like, you know, pulling my arms across my body and sure. you know, like holding the crook and flail, that sort of thing that like you see in the sarcophagi. So in that light, it's like, okay, that's, that's kind of interesting. That's a whole different outlook as to what happened there. And if that's true, which is of course a big if, if that's true, then it was actually doing something to honor me and not actually doing doing anything nefarious. So, of course, we're never going to know for sure what exactly happened, but it's definitely a different perspective. Yeah, and I think you you hit on an important point here. I think often there are a lot of people who will say, oh, I, I'm not going to go ghosting, whatever, I, you know, the ghosts scare me, whatever. That fear is really unfounded. Um, and, and I'm not saying that there isn't a, isn't a chance of danger in any of this. I don't think there is. But my point is that we manufacture the fear in ourselves most of the time. It's the, it's the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of something we don't understand that is uh, created within us that we walk out feeling scared. It's not really anything the entity did or the ghost did or, you know, whatever it is we happen to see. Um, it's really just an internal process. Yeah, absolutely. You took the words right out of my mouth. We, we fear what we don't understand, and, you know, we don't understand what these shadow entities are. You couple that with, uh, you know, with the media out there in Hollywood yeah. that, has taken this type of imagery and these type of entities and it has turned every single one of them into a demon. So, you know, we see that out there, you know, maybe in our house or if we're thinking about going out and on a paranormal investigation, maybe we see it out on a paranormal investigation and all of a sudden we're extremely frightened. And it's just because we've had preconceived notions uh, filtered into our minds to believe that this is evil when it probably really isn't. Mike, you, uh, given the books you've written, and, and a lot of times, uh, you know, you've reacher, researched stories, in, whether it's about Maryland or Oklahoma or whatever it is, uh, you have come across a lot of uh, reports of paranormal activity and a lot of personal stories from people that have experienced it themselves. You know, you know from doing your research, I know from doing this program and, and doing other work, that there are stories everywhere and there are so many people that have had these experiences given that universe of information why are there people that still deny the existence of this stuff you know that's a great question and you know there's a myriad of of, of different reasons it could be a, a religious belief that has been ingrained into them and they're just not going to give it up uh there are Many people that are, well, I'm not going to believe it until I see it, and they don't ever see it. And I, I'm, I'm one of those that, well, when you do believe it, then you will see it. And <laughs> right. you know, that's happened to me in so many cases. Um, you know, but there are, 
You know, it, it's funny. You know, a, a great example is my father, and uh, you know, I love him to death. But you know, he'll tell you, you know, I don't believe in ghosts. I don't, I don't, you know, believe in those sorts of things. But yet, he does actually have a story in which he woke up one night and he actually had a shadow person coming into his room, and he pointed at the thing and he said, "I don't know who you are, but you need to get, you know, up out of the house." Mm-hmm. And it left the room, and I'm looking at him like, Dad that's a ghost story. And he's like, no, 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 no. And so he just, you know, will refuse. So there's people like that. There are a lot of people that, that do that. And I've shared this story a, a thousand times, not so much of a story as a, as a, as a common occurrence. Uh, but you know, I'll go to conventions and, and uh, be speaking at an event or something like that. And I have, People will come up to me and say, hey, you know, I don't believe in any of this ghost stuff, but you know what happened to me when I was 12? You know, my grandmother appeared at the end of my bed. And I'm like, if you had that experience, how can you not believe? At least believe something. It doesn't necessarily have to be the way we're presenting it here today or tonight or whatever, but you have to know something's going on. Yeah, exactly. You would think that they would at least acknowledge that it's it's something. They don't know what it is, but right. it is something. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, just different people's perspectives. Um, a place that I used to work at some years ago in Oklahoma, um, I was basically, we were, me and another guy, we were working on a, a particular project, and we were stuck in this room together for a month straight. It was a very interesting guy. He was an atheist skeptic. So he's the guy that went to all these you know, different skeptic conferences, and he was an atheist. So he didn't believe anything spiritual. He just believed that when you die, you become worm food. So we had some very interesting conversations. Um, but, you know, we weren't prejudiced against each other at all. We are just kind of picking each other's brain. And so, you know, he actually told me that uh, he had had an experience when he was younger that I would probably call paranormal. And, you know, I asked him, okay, well, that's, you know, interesting what would you actually call it if you're not going to call it paranormal? And he said, I'd just call it something I can't yet explain. And so he'll probably go his entire life with yeah. that stance that it's yeah. something that he can't explain. Yeah, and I guess, so I guess it's all in the way you describe your experience. Um, we all may describe it a little bit differently. Uh, going back to your childhood experience, this first encounter you had with this shadow person, did you ever have a, an encounter again in up until present day where you suspect it may have been the exact same uh entity or shadow figure no i don't believe i've encountered that particular uh shadow entity again i've encountered a lot of other shadow entities but not that particular one yeah did you ever come up with any theories as to who that might have been or what that might have been and why it was concerned for you i mean was it do you think it may have been you know an ancestor or something along those lines you know that that's a good question and I, i'm not you know, I can't be definitive uh, sure. as to that. I mean, the idea of it was some sort of entity that you know, thought I was deceased and was putting me into uh, a burial pose, that, that's interesting. You know, could it have been somebody from you know, thousands of years ago, again, like Egypt? And if so, would that have been some sort of descendant of mine? You know, I, I really have no idea. I'd love to get the answers to that. Um, I've you know, I've, I've had other encounters in which I've had, uh, you know, kind of a clear idea. Like one, when I was uh, 13 years old, different house, and we're just moving in, and there's this shadow that keeps coming into the doorway of my bedroom, and I turn, look, and I take off, and it did this a number of different times. Um, you know, I believe that it was, you know, something, somebody that was there kind of checking us out, because my mother saw the same thing. She actually admitted to seeing this oh, thing wow. as well. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, so it seems like okay. Here's here's a spirit. Here's a you know perhaps a human entity that's there checking us out. You know who's the new family that's moving in, and you know after a few months the activity subsided. So apparently it deemed that we were okay and just went about its business. So I have I've had better ideas about that, but that first one. Uh, that one's always going to be a mystery to me. So do you think that the, the experience you just told us about, do you think there was an element of the entity, the shadow person, if you will, uh, was more curious about you and your family at the time, and until they recognized, you know what, these people are okay, and it's okay that they're here, uh, they were making these appearances because they were checking you out? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and it's it's almost tough to know if, this entity was intentionally making itself seen, or if it was 
so curious that its energy started to manifest its form. Uh, it obviously knew that I had seen it because every time I turn and look at it, it would take off down the hall. I ended right. up calling this thing Tom, like peeping Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I would just get playful with it. Hi, Tom, and you know, it, it'd go running off. So, um, so yeah, it, it's definitely um, you know, very different types of shadow entities, which is why I try to break that down in, in my book, um, but both equally interesting. So the experience you had when you were seven, you initially thought was an intruder. Your parents uh, consoled you, said you'd had a dream, don't worry about it, whatever. When you're 13, and now you're you're naming the entity, you're calling it Tom, obviously you have an awareness of what's happening here. You understand at that point that there's a paranormal component here. Did that bother you? No, it didn't bother me at all. Um, <laughs> I was actually very fascinated by that. In fact, you know... Um, when we made that move, we were moving from Massachusetts to Ohio. My mother actually bought me the book Yankee Ghost by Hans Holzer as a interesting way to kind of remember the area that I'd spent 10 years of my childhood. And uh, so it, it was an idea and concept that I was already open to at that age. And the fact that we move into a house that, um, that has something going on, now I'm just fascinated. And it, it is interesting, uh, you know, the way my mother handled that, because obviously when I was younger, you know, they're just trying to calm me down and console me. And yeah. You, yeah. You, you protect your child, so they're trying to make sure that I'm not scared. But when I was older, you know, apparently she thought that I was more mature, and it was actually a wonderful thing that she affirmed what I had seen, because it's like, okay, so mom has seen it too, I'm not crazy. I have actually seen this. She's seen it too. She is not alarmed about it, so it must be okay. And then, like I said, I got playful with it, and it was okay. How long were you having those experiences? You said that once you felt that the entities were comfortable with you, they stopped making an appearance. Did that take a year? Did it take a week? How long did it last there? Yeah, it was about three or four months until that activity subsided, and then he just kind of went about his business. You know? And I I lived in that house for five years until I graduated high school. I never saw him again after that, and my parents were there for a couple more years, and they didn't have any more stories about him. So, yeah, it was only those three or four months. When you write a book and you're including the stories of other people, uh, when you talk with these people or interview them or correspond with them and get this story, do you have a, a mechanism by which you can determine whether or not these people are sincere versus somebody that might be, and I'm not so sure this happens very often, but maybe, uh, making it up? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And really it comes down to you know my feel for the person. I've talked to so many people over the years that you know, I've kind of learned to kind of basically gauge and get a feel for somebody when, when I'm talking to them right. as to whether or not you know, they're being sincere or they're just feeding me a story or a line of bull. Um, and so, yeah, that, that could be tough sometimes. Some people are really good at trying to tell a story and you know, kind of what you do is you keep feeding the information they've given you back to them mm-hmm. and see if they, you know, sometimes they'll trip themselves up and not realize <laughs> what they told earlier in the story, you feed it back to them and they trip over themselves. <laughs> it's kind of like being a bit of a detective, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Well, you know, I wrote detective fiction, so there you go. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So, um, you know, you're, you're moving through your life here. You're developing an interest that continues to grow stronger in the paranormal. Um, eventually you come to the point where you decide to write the book, a walk in the shadows, about shadow people. Now, we know you had that first experience, which made you curious about shadow people from the very beginning. However, why put it all into a book? Why is this particular category, in your estimation, important to talk about? Well, I've had a lot of people ask me about this type of phenomenon. Um, I had started doing presentations about shadow people several years ago. I was, I was asked to present about uh, various paranormal topics at different conventions and, and what have you. And so uh, this was a topic that was very interesting to people. And any time that I would talk about it, I would have all kinds of people uh, come up to me and relate to me their experiences. They start emailing me about experiences that they had. Um, you know, I put together, start putting together 
videos on my YouTube channel, Haunted Road Media, about this topic as well. And you know, the the feedback was just absolutely amazing. So okay, this is you know, I'm not the only person that is having these experiences. There's a lot of other people as well. So uh, it seemed to me that the best thing to do then was. Uh, to take the research that I had done, the experiences that I had had, coupled with the experience that other people had had, and put information out there uh, so that other people can realize that they are not alone in this. There are others that have had these experiences too, and you know that there are people out there trying to figure out exactly what's going on with these things and whether or not. You know, this is something to be afraid of, or if it's something that you know you can be okay with, you know, because that's that's a big question. You know, people see a shadow entity and they immediately think it's something nasty and evil, and it's like, well, you know, it very well could, you know, it might not be. So, uh, you know, it's trying to get information into people's hands to answer a lot of these questions they have. Yeah, I mean, going back to the the idea that we create our own fear, one of the things that we automatically assume is that a dark, uh, mystical figure is going to, ha- in some way, be evil. Um, you know, I don't know why we think that, but that seems to be a natural default for people. Yeah, you know, we automatically relate things that are dark in nature because it's black into something that's evil, just like you know, we we relate the color red with that as well. And, and we forget that, well, red is actually the color of passion. It's one of the colors of love. We, we forget those aspects of it, but... When we mix the the red with you know something that's dark, oh, it must be evil. And no, not not necessarily. And I think that's been um, you know kind of a tragedy here. You know, with these entities that they're uh, you know people will try to paint them as all dark and evil. But you know, a lot of these shadows are actually human spirits that can't fully manifest as a as an apparition. And so I, I'm not going to sit there and call somebody's Aunt right. Trudy evil. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have to say, uh, and, and I don't know if this is the experience that you found when talking to people or your personal experience, but in all the investigating I've done, the most common uh, form of visual experience I would have is a shadow person. Um, you know, I can't say I've seen many apparitions. In fact, I barely have seen one. I can't say, you know, I've seen um, a manipulation of, of you know, a book on a shelf sliding across or anything like that. I've seen doors close, that kind of thing. But as far as visual evidence from my, you know, my own personal experience, the most common, and I'm not saying it happens all the time, but the most common has been shadow people. Is that the experience you found with your investigating and maybe uh, some from the experiences of others you've talked to? Well, for me personally, yes, I see more shadows than apparitions, but there are people out there that see more apparitions than shadow, and I believe this is because I do touch on a little bit of walking the shadows, and it's becoming a deeper part of my research, and I believe what's happening is you know, we we each own, we have our own uh, vibration, our own personal resonance, and so I believe what's happening is you know, we're resonating at a at a certain level that these entities exist on, and it happens to be ones that are more shadowy in nature, where others are resonating elsewhere, and they're able to see uh, entities that have more of this uh, opaque, almost whitish type of uh, visuality to them. So um, I, I think it's just that, and not necessarily that they're are more shadows and apparitions or what have you. I think it's the way that we are personally vibrating. So if you, you said that uh, some of these shadow people are actually human spirits that uh, can't uh, materialize for one reason or another, is that an indication that maybe if there was more energy, whether, you know, we all know that, um, that uh, research has told us that uh, spirits can drain batteries, that they can pull energy from running water. They can, you know, there are different sources of energy. If there was more energy in an environment, could one of these shadow people then fully materialize by drawing on that energy? Is that theoretically possible? I believe it is. And I've actually seen something like that happen. Now, I don't know if it's because it acquired energy on the way to manifesting into an apparition, but uh, about a year and a half ago, we were running an investigation at Menorah Springs Hotel in Olton, Illinois, 
And it was really following a paracon that we had put on. And it was toward the end of the night. And we're you know, finishing up our investigation. And we're doing some work in the corner, upstairs corner uh, room of the abandoned part of the hotel. We're just doing some EVP work. And all of a sudden, we start hearing some noises down the hall. So we go out there. And there's this shadowy smoke that's forming up at the end of the hallway and it's coming closer and closer and it starts doing something very unusual. It starts creeping up the wall on the right hand side of the hallway and then it would creep back down as it's coming closer, it's creeping up and creeping down, it keeps doing this until finally it kind of sticks on that wall on the right hand side and actually ends up warming into the apparition of a little girl. And we start coaxing the little girl closer, come closer, come closer. And there have been reports of one of the rooms up there uh, having the spirit of a little girl inside of it. And you know, we'd investigated there many times and hadn't actually interacted with this girl. We'd interacted with other people that were up there, other spirits, but not her. And finally, there it is, we're seeing her, and she had morphed out of the black smoke. Now, I don't know if there was something going on in that hallway at the time that was feeding energy to her because we were in, you know, the corner room, not out in the hallway, but something did happen that she was able to manifest out of this shadow material. Interesting. Um, You had said that uh, I think you used a qualifier like some shadow people are actually human spirits that can't fully materialize. Um, I got the impression that not all shadow people are that. Is there, are there is there another kind of shadow person? Yeah, there's a lot of different kinds of shadow people. Human spirits, you know, are are one. Um, what I believe a true shadow person is is an interdimensional being, something that you know, comes into our plane of existence from some other plane of existence. Uh, I believe some of these shadow entities could also be extraterrestrials as well. So there's a variety of different things that they could be. And, you know, one of the things that comes to mind, too, when we start talking about interdimensional travelers, we, we often connect that with the possibility of time travelers. Is that something that has appeared on the radar in this discussion at all? Oh, absolutely. Uh, time travel is definitely on the table. And let me give an example of uh, something that, may, that I believe was interdimensional, could also have possibly been a time slip. Um, and that was a shadow that I'd seen uh, at the end of an investigation at a restaurant called Johnny V's in Muskogee, Oklahoma. It's no longer a restaurant. Uh, it's, they sold it a while ago. But um, I was just doing a last photo sweep of this restaurant. And there were a couple guys who were up in the upstairs loft, a bar area, and a couple people that were out in the front of the restaurant. So I'm on my own. I end up walking through the main doors to the kitchen. And as I walk in holding my camera, I all of a sudden see this just real quick wisp of a shadow just dart right across the room. It was extremely fast, tall, translucent, but very fast. And you heard it bang into the side door. It was just a flimsy little metal door that went out into the side restaurant area. It was really unusual about this when that happened was even though you heard the bang of the door, the door didn't move. And like I said, it was just real light and flimsy, just something that waiters and waitresses uh, could push through holding large trays of food. And I call out to the others, hey, did you guys hear that? And I'm like, yeah, 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 we heard that. So I explained to them what happened. And I started thinking, okay, these guys got to be messing with me. Um, So I started asking, did you guys throw something at the door? They're like, no, 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 no. I even walked through the door. I'm looking at the ground and, you know, trying to confirm, okay, no, they didn't throw anything at the door. And if they had, the door would have moved. So what I think happened here was when I walked into that kitchen and I saw this shadow and it saw me, I obviously scared it because right when I walked in, it took off. Uh, And I don't know for sure, but it may have seen me as a shadow. It may have seen me as a ghost. I'm not sure. But when I scared it, and it blew through that door, perhaps on its plane of existence, that door opened wide, that it just blew right through there and went running through the door on its plane of existence, or could have been in its moment of time. Now, the sound of it, sound travels on a different wavelength, a different frequency. 
So that was able to pass back through uh, from one dimension to another, one plane of existence to another, or you could look at it as one moment in time to another. There's something going on in that moment where our planes of existence or our moments in time actually overlapped. So that, that's one case in which I believe something like that has happened. We're talking tonight with Mike Ricksecker. His website is his name, MikeRicksecker.com. He's got many books to his credit. Tonight, we're going to spend most of our time talking about his book about shadow people called A Walk in the Shadows. Mike, you said that was released in January. It's almost been a year. Yeah, almost a year now. I was supposed to be touring it this year, but, you know, COVID. So. Oh, man, I know. I know. Everything everything has changed this year. I just hope it gets back to normal relatively soon. I mean, we've heard some pretty good news about this, um, you know, the vaccination and, and the vaccine becoming available. I guess the FDA is going to go ahead and approve the Pfizer vaccine. I mean, that, that's encouraging. It almost sounds like by the middle of next year anyway, we might be back to some normalcy. Yeah, I really hope so. I, I know people have been stir-crazy and, and you know, they've been missing the events and the conventions and all that, uh, the travel restrictions as well. So, uh, yeah, it'd be great to get back to some sense of normalcy and get out there and see everybody again. When we talk about shadow people interacting with their environment, now you told the story about your seven-year-old experience when this shadow person came up and actually folded your arms, clearly manipulated the physical environment. Um, and I've often, you know, some of the shadow experiences I've had, I've seen these things, you know, peering around a corner. So you know that it's aware of the corner. It's aware of the walls and the building. Um, but how common is it for shadow people to be able to either manipulate or um, acknowledge in their behavior the environment they're in? That's a great question. Yeah, you don't hear a lot of stories. I mean, I obviously have one. Um, Another contributor uh, with a story to the book actually woke up with a shadow entity sitting on his chest that he was actually able to physically grab onto oh, and really? shove off him. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you hear, like you were saying, like peering around corners or walking up and down stairs. So they do seem to have a sense of the environment around them. You know, they're not. They're not walking through walls and, and what have you. Um, but, again, it's more, of a, it's more of a rare story. Usually you hear the stories of maybe they're darting down the hall or yeah. they're standing at the end of the bed. Sometimes you hear of them walking through the doorway, like we were talking about, um, or standing in the doorway. But, yeah, a lot of times it's just they're standing there. So, um, Anytime you can get a, uh, a story or somebody shares an experience of a physical interaction, especially with the body, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that's really fascinating. Now, I, I you know the, the the stories that will have physical interaction, whether it's an actual you know uh, manipulating of an object or or a touch or you know manipulating a person's arms, as in your case, or it's a shadow person that's peering around a corner, so it's clearly aware of the corner being there. Um, or if it's a shadow person standing in a corner just watching, you know, as you said, the watchers, uh, are those all indicative of what we would consider to be when it comes to hauntings? And I'm not not implying that these are hauntings per se, but just using the definition, uh, that these would be considered like an intelligent type haunt versus anything residual? Yeah, these are certainly intelligent type haunts. Uh, and you, like you say, you know, maybe not necessarily a haunting, but right. something intelligent is, is going on in these cases. You know, whether it is that they're just watching or, you know, I, you know, I walk into that kitchen and the thing darts across the room. I obviously scared it, um, even though it was all of about two seconds of a moment. There was something intelligent that happened that this thing responded to me. Um, yeah, you don't really hear of residual uh, shadow hauntings. It's usually when we think of something residual, we're seeing an apparition walk through the wall and it has no idea that you're right. there with shadows. They have a sense that you're there. Right. Um, do, have you, have you ever had an, a, a story and maybe the story that you told us about the, the shadow person sitting on, on the person's chest when they woke up, but uh, with that one in mind and maybe others that these things actually seem to be a bit sinister or are you convinced there's no sinister part of this? Oh, some of them can certainly be sinister. I, I'm not going to say that they're all benign. Uh, 
I, I believe shadow people are like humans. It's going to be very simplistic, but you know, some humans are good, some humans are bad, some shadow people are good, some shadow people are bad. Yeah. And um, you know, I have been on cases in which the shadow entity was uh, certainly nefarious and up to no good. Um, you know, the uh, when I was on the show, the haunted, Jesus, oh, ten years ago now. Uh, that that case had been, and that particular house um, was having a very terrible experience with a shadow entity with red eyes that was appearing in the closet of the adult daughter, Talison. And uh, during our investigations, which we investigated there several, several times, we never actually saw this entity with red eyes. We did see, I personally saw, a large black mass form up in her room, and the the cat in the house had a definitive reaction to this thing. Uh, and it could have been that entity trying to form up, and it only took the form of this uh, this shadow mist. But when uh, when we finished that uh, that film, because we we had Carl Johnson come out and do a cleansing of that house, um, you know, it got to the point where he's doing a blessing over her. And all of a sudden, she gets punched in the gut by something unseen. Mm. And I caught an EVP right at that moment on my audio recorder that said, die. So something was definitely oh, out to get her. <laughs> that's not yeah. good. Yeah, that's not good. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's a bit frightening. But one of the things, the, the story about the person who woke up with the shadow person sitting on them, uh, that starts making me think about some of these sleep paralysis stories and uh, things like that. Is there a connection between what some people would call sleep paralysis and these shadow beings, these shadow people? Yeah, and I have a uh, entire section of the book on sleep paralysis because this is a this is an area that um, that a lot of yeah, I don't want to gently say this. I have a problem with the medical community <laughs> um, yeah, because. They've basically taken uh, legitimate shadow phenomena and have classified it as a hallucination because people are waking up in the middle of the night and yeah. they see this shadow and are experiencing sleep paralysis at the same time. And I've had sleep paralysis. I've had it a couple of times. Uh, it is a very scary experience, especially the first time when you have no idea what's going on and how you're going to be, be able to get out of this. Neither of those cases did I actually see as shadow entities. And I believe what's happening is you're waking up, you're, you're, you are experiencing sleep paralysis, which is a natural biological phenomenon. Um, you know, we, our body does this uh, naturally while we're sleeping so that we don't act out our dreams while we're asleep. Right. And there are times where people wake up and they just, the body does not, has not completely woken up, but your mind uh, has. And as far as the shadow person in the room, um, you know, we dream about all kinds of things. The medical community is trying to say this is a hallucination, you know, a, a remnant of our dream as, as we're still waking up. Well, we dream about all kinds of different things. You know, it could be planes, cars, you know, uh, it, it's notice in the dream, it's always our notice in. Uh, when they wake up, it's always a shadow in the room. But we dream about, you know, maybe it's a desk or a chair is in our dream. I've had dreams of being on stage with Motley Crue, but I've never woken up <laughs> and had 10,000 people in my room and right. our technics going off and all that stuff. It's this person that's standing there. So I don't believe it's a hallucination. I think what's happening here is that the presence of the shadow entity, the shadow entities there, and the presence of them being there wakes us up. We sense their energy. And people have had, who have had young children will understand this. My kids are notorious for this, especially my youngest, Cameron. He wakes up in the middle of the night, he's had a bad dream or needs a glass of water or whatever it is. And he would come up to my bed and instead of tapping me on the shoulder saying, yeah. hey, Dad, he yeah. would stand there. It <laughs> <laughs> was kind of creepy. He would just yeah. stand there. And I would wake up because I would feel his presence near, near me. I would feel his energy there, and I'd open my eyes, oh my gosh, Cameron, what are you doing? Um, and I think that's what's happening here, is that you're feeling the energy of the shadow entity there, and you're waking up, and sometimes our 
body has hasn't completely gotten out of that um, that sleep paralysis, and all of a sudden now we see this dark entity standing there, and now we're scared, and that a bit of you know, panic, panic sits in a yeah. complete alarm. Yes, yeah. so we go into panic. Yes. Yeah. So you know, I've learned a lot already, and in, in the few times we've had you on the show, I've, I always learn something. And what I think is most important about what I've learned tonight is that you have dreams about being on stage with Motley Crue. I think you need to tell us a little bit more about this, Mike. Are you singing? Are you playing an instrument? Or are you just stand there as a, standing there as a fan? Um. <laughs> so usually I'm playing something. The one this was really funny a few years ago. Um, Nikki Six had posted on Facebook that uh, he thought he was retired, but it was the night before he posted that on Facebook, because nothing was going on with Motley Crue or 6 a.m. or anything at the time, yeah. but the, just the night before that, I had had a dream in which Nikki, the, the, the band was on tour, and Nikki Six was taking a break, and for whatever reason, they tapped me to take his place for a little <laughs> while on tour. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That is awesome. It's all good fun. <laughs> it is. It is. Again, we're talking with Mike Ricksecker tonight. Mike, if someone goes to to check out your books, uh, do you have a particular one that you recommend they start with as far as your work, or is it whatever appeals to them most? Probably what, uh, whatever appeals to them most, uh, because it's it's kind of all over the board. <laughs> you know, if, if you uh, if you're from Maryland or from the East Coast, that one would probably interest you. Oklahoma, obviously, you know, that particular state. Uh, you know, if you're looking for things, you know, information, of course, about shadow entities or interdimensional beings, more information about sleep paralysis, that would be a walk in the shadows. The, the, one that I would, the ones that I would say to read in order would be the mystery novels. So Deadly Airs is the first of the series, and uh, System of the Dead is the second. But anything else you can, you can pick up just as a uh, one-off. As you're researching shadow people, and you said, you know, you're looking into, after writing this book, there's some, you know, specifics that you're researching and trying to get more answers about. But as you do that, is there, are there certain ways other than just, you know, getting people's stories, collecting their experiences, that you can actually test and research some of these ideas? I mean, that's the, that's the difficulty of all of this when it comes to paranormal research is how do you actually gather hard data. Do you have a particular way you go about it? Yeah, this is a project that uh, that I've been working on here lately. Of course, you know, I have a background as a paranormal investigator, so I've <laughs> uh, partaken uh, many paranormal investigations over the years. But, right. um, you know, COVID kind of got in the way of this this year. But um, over the last few months, I've been working on a docuseries in which I've been doing exactly that. I've uh, gone to a, a couple of locations here, you know, with my equipment to specifically study uh, shadow phenomena. Of course, the the trick is trying to make that happen while you're there, which you can't make this happen on demand, unfortunately. But you know, you, you go to some locations that are notorious for it. So, started at you know, the Conjuring House, and um, you know, I mentioned Carl Johnson earlier, and uh, he had witnessed the rolling black smoke there. Of course. Uh, my good friend Andrea Perrin has seen plenty of shadow activity there as well. So, you know, interviewing them, getting their experiences. And there are a couple of us, of course, being safe about it, a couple of us that were, you know, there at the house um, to actually investigate and see if we could make that manifest. Um, I've returned also to Mineral Springs Hotel in Alton, Illinois, where we saw that uh, shadow smoke morph into the apparition of a little girl. So, okay, let's go back and see if we can make that happen again and, you know, actually get to the crux of, you know, why is this activity happening at these locations? And both of these locations um, are known for having uh, portal activity happening there. So, you know, is, is that what's making this happen? So uh, that's, really the direction I've been going here lately. You um, also talk a little bit about uh, this idea of a simulated universe. Uh, is there a connection between shadow people, particularly in something like you described, where that you were in the restaurant, you heard the noise of the door opening, you felt a whisk go by you, but you didn't see anything, you feel like it was kind of a, a bleed over from another dimension. How does a simulated universe discussion get into this conversation? Yeah, simulated universe is uh, extremely interesting, and you know, just 
you know, at the outset, okay, are we living in a simulated universe? Well, you, you look at our, you know, most religions, you know, have that pretty much built into them that, you know, we come from somewhere else, we're here temporarily to either learn something, experience something, and then when we pass away, we go on elsewhere. So that's, you know, kind of uh, the definition of a, uh, of a simulation anyway. So if that's true, if we are living in some sort of simulation, then what would a shadow entity be within that universe? Uh, good thing is I have a, uh, I have a degree in simulation programming, so I've, I've done research here already from the idea of computer simulations. Not necessarily saying that we're in a computer simulation. I think it's something more organic, biological, molecular, perhaps, um, and but more advanced than what we would actually think of our modern computers. Uh, in any case, if that's true, uh, and this shadow entity is coming from that other world beyond whatever that may be, well, I, I look at it as like a massively multiplayer online game. Mm-hmm. You have game masters that will come into the world from time to time to handle some sort of issue, some sort of problem, or even to observe how players are interacting within that game. Now, you usually can't see them. They're usually there as some sort of invisible form. The players have no idea that the game master is actually there. However, there are some times where the game will glitch and you'll actually get an idea or actually see on the screen somewhere, wait a minute, there's somebody over there. Well, is that what's happening here with some of these shadow entities? Is this, whether you want to call it a game master, if you, you know, watching the movie, the matrix, is it an agent, you know, that comes down into the game world and, or the simulation that we're experiencing here, is that what some of these actually are? That's a possibility. You, uh, as a paranormal investigator, very familiar with collecting EVP. Do you ever notice any connection between the appearance of shadow people and an increased uh, appearance of EVP, electro- electronic voice phenomena? Um, you know, I don't. I can't say that there is an increase in that or not. Um, you know, sometimes we'll get some EVPs when we're experiencing shadow activity. Sometimes we don't. Um, it's kind of a hit or miss. It's great when we get them together because. Yeah. Uh, if we're experiencing shadow activity and we get the EVP there, you know, you'd like to think that the EVP is from the shadow that you just experienced. You're getting some information from them. So uh, when it happens, it's wonderful. What about other corroborating evidence like, uh, you know, K2 meter fluctuations or anything? And, you know, there are a lot of different pieces of equipment that paranormal investigators tend to use these days. Uh, do you have any patterns that you've noticed with the appearance of shadow people and some of these other devices uh, registering uh, changes in their readings as well? Well, certainly. Uh, a lot of times when these things manifest, you'll, you'll get um, you know, some hits on your different electromagnetic field uh, meters. You know, the one night that uh, I was investigating Stone Lion Inn in Guthrie, Oklahoma, we had a lot of things going on that night. Uh, we were getting a lot of shadow activity. Uh, we were even actually getting what could have possibly been poltergeist activity because we had a bureau drawer close on its own. We had a, uh, a, a picture fall off the wall and things like that. And then, like I said, uh, a lot of shadow activity. And that was a night in which just doing our initial uh, walkthrough and kind of getting the baseline of the house, I'm in the library area, and then all of a sudden my K2 meter just, boom, spikes out into the red. And I all of a sudden... Uh, got extremely lightheaded. It was like a, a wave of energy had hit me and almost passed out. So it was a it was a night in which there was a lot of uh, energy that had welled up uh, within that house. Uh, I'd also seen that out at the old 101 Ranch out in um, Ponca City, Oklahoma. And what had happened there was well, there's nothing going on whatsoever. We had gone out to, you know, get a, you know, some refreshments real quick. While we were out, a massive storm blew through. Of course, you had all the lightning going on. We came back, and that lightning had charged up the whole area, and also we had all kinds of activity, including shadow activity. So, um, you know, certainly there, there is some correlation here uh, between electromagnetic fields and the shadows. 
We talked about shadow people being sinister or not being sinister, but what about just being pranksters or even just annoying? Uh, do you have any experience with that yourself, or have you collected any stories with people where they've had a shadow person just, you know, won't leave them alone, even though they're not really trying to do anything sinister, they just won't leave them alone? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about necessarily being pranksterish, but as far as, like, not leaving alone... Um, yeah, you'll hear, uh, like, a, you know, a shadow person repeatedly coming back again and again and again. And there is um, a group of sisters that had uh, related to me a story of they were growing up in this house for, for a number of years. And this uh, shadow entity, it was actually the hat man, um, would come up to the one girl's bed uh, multiple nights per week. And the other girls were laying in their beds, and they'd watch this happen you know, all the time. But it would just come up to her bed and stand there and stare at her. It wouldn't do anything. It would just stand there and stare at her. And this happened over and over and over again. They moved out of the house, and the activity no longer happened. So apparently this, uh, this shadow was attached to that particular house. But, yeah, it's you know, recurring, and they had no idea what was going on, but there it was. Did you say that that particular story, the uh, sisters described this shadow person as the, a hat man? Yeah, they actually described that one as the hat man. But you know, we hear a lot of nefarious and, and nasty tales about the hat man, and usually we relate him to uh, like an energy vampire, that he comes into the room, strikes fear into the person, and feeds off that energy. In this particular case, yes, he kept coming into the room and standing there at the end of the bed to look down at the girl, but he didn't do anything other than that. And I, I don't know if it was one of those that they'd gotten so used to it that they weren't scared of it anymore, so there was nothing to feed on. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it's a very interesting tale. You know, a lot of people will believe, and I've heard, I've never had this experience myself, but a lot of people have visitations from deceased pets. So that would tell us that there is some kind of pet ghost. Uh, are there animal or pet shadow people, or they wouldn't be people, but shadow creatures as well? Uh, yeah, yeah, there are uh, reports of shadow animals. Um, I've seen the, the only one I've seen myself. I and I can't even say it was a shadow cat, but it was small, low to the ground. This one particular cemetery that we'd go to on occasion would, would have this thing, and it just the way it moved and kind of would slink around the trees. Yeah, that might be a, a shadow cat, but. You know, you hear about things like that, whether it's shadow cats, shadow spiders, shadow snakes, shadow dogs, all basically all different kinds of animals. You hear these different stories. Um, so, yeah, they can take the form of animals. Shadow spiders. That sounds like something particularly evil. <laughs> yeah, <Spiders>. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah and a couple of stories that I've heard, they, they have not been nice, so... What about, you know, we, we've touched on Hatman a little bit. You know, there's obviously discussion of Slenderman, and Slenderman is one of those things that's a little unique because we know, excuse me, the origin of Shadow or Slenderman was, you know, created basically in fiction, but then people started to have real-world experiences. Um, are, are these Shadow people that are taking on the form of something that they know uh, might scare people? Yeah, what's interesting with uh, with Slenderman, since you bring him up, yeah, I mean, he was created in fiction. People have claimed to have seen him in real life, so that brings into um, into the conversation the idea of the thought form or the tulpa. Uh, you know, have you know, have people actually been able to create this entity just from their thoughts, or has some other entity noticed that? all these people are taking an interest in Slenderman and took on the persona and became Slenderman itself? Um, that's a very good question. Uh, there's an interesting uh, concept that was put forward, people have probably forgotten by now, by John Keel, who wrote the Mothman Prophecies. And at the very beginning of that book, and, and the story has absolutely nothing to do with the Mothman, but he's, he's trying to convey some ideas in which the um, the, uh, the gentleman who wrote the shadow stories in pulp fiction, you know, back in the 1930s, uh, mm -hmm. Walter B. Gibson, his 
house that he lived in in New York became haunted after he had lived in there. And people were reporting seeing this shadow that was there. But they kept saying that, well, you know, the house is so old, we believe it's a, you know, a, maybe a Revolutionary War soldier or somebody else from a while ago. But if you look at the description of this shadow that they're describing and you look at the shadow from the pulp stories, they're actually very similar. So, because he was always incessantly writing in that house about, the shadow, right? did he actually create that from his thoughts? It's interesting. That's a whole other discipline of, of study and research uh, that seems to be gaining more traction, that we, kind of, that we in some way manifest these things from ourselves. You know, we, we see them for real. However, they're a manifestation of something we've created. And that's been, you know, the theory for poltergeist activity for a long time. Um, I did have another question uh, from one of our chatters that I wanted to ask before we change topics here. But have you seen shadow people actually interacting and, and, and um, acknowledging each other? You know, in other words, you oh, see two, two or three of these yeah. shadow people at the same time, and they're actually interacting with each other. Yeah, that, that's a good question. Uh, sometimes you do. Uh, you'll hear reports. I haven't seen that myself, uh, but you will hear reports of shadows that are, you know, coming in. Actually, I take that back. I have seen that myself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You'll hear stories of uh, shadows, you know, coming in groups. Like they might walk into somebody's room as a group of three. Uh, A lot of times you'll hear shadow uh, or hat man stories of, a hat man being flanked by two shadow entities without hats, but sometimes with the hats. Um, and, and my story where I had to kind of take that back is I had seen a number of uh, shadow entities out in the woods uh, one night, and uh, I was you know, back behind this uh, abandoned house, but they were coming up the trees, and they were all they were all together. But uh, as we remained back there, there were more and more that were coming up. Uh, into the trees and uh, you know so they were certainly related to each other you know uh, people who are paranormal investigators will occasionally talk about uh, a spirit following them home or attaching themselves it's not common but it it has happened and I've heard some investigators talk about that Uh, have you heard anything related to that type of experience when it comes to shadow people Mike well yeah kind of you know the same thing with uh you know, with shadow entities as, as other spirits, something may follow them home. Um, you know, it's it, that story with the girls was kind of interesting because the shadow, even though it kept coming up to her bed time and time mm-hmm. again, the entire time that they lived there, it mm-hmm. didn't follow them to the new house. Right. Uh, so that doesn't always happen, but it, it can just like with uh, other spirits. Um, let's change the subject for the few minutes we have left. Uh, one of the things that um, you've done a show on is the Alaska Triangle. Now, I have to be honest here and, and admit something. I'm not entirely sure what the Alaska Triangle is. Tell us about it. <laughs> well, um, a, a, another name it's known by is Alaska's Bermuda Triangle. So it's the same idea of the Bermuda Triangle, but Alaska, that there's uh, all kinds of strange phenomena, uh, missing persons, missing airplanes, missing ships, you know, all kinds of these strange things happening up there in Alaska. Um, you know, there have been, the, the statistics are since uh, 1988, 16,000 people have gone missing in Alaska, but, you know, kind of even more so are the, the strange disappearances of airplanes up there just you know, like we talk about with Flight 19 with the Bermuda Triangle, where did that go? And then, you know, one of the search planes goes off to try to find uh, find out what happened to it, and that flight gets lost, too. The same thing has happened up in Alaska time and time again. Uh, so that was a lot of what we covered during the Alaska Triangle show. We covered a lot of different things. The disappearances, we covered paranormal activity uh, that's occurred up there. Uh, there were a number of great guys that came out to talk about uh, the different cryptid sightings, and so uh, you know, we, we got into a lot of different uh, topics, ghost ships and, and things like that. 
That sounds really cool. I have always had a fascination with the Bermuda Triangle story. It seems as though the phenomena has seemed to have subsided some. We don't have missing planes and and ships as common or as frequent as we did for a while. Um, So I'm not sure what to make of that. I do want to go back to the shadow uh, person uh, discussion just for a second here because another great question uh, came through the chat room. Do you have experience observing shadow people where you're pretty sure or confident anyway that they don't know you're observing them oh that's an excellent question um wow i can't think of a time in which that has been the case it's usually the other way around they're the ones doing the watching yeah yeah that's my experience too they're the ones that are seem to be be well aware that you're there before you know they're there yeah the, the only one that i can really think of offhand is the one in which well, okay, let me throw this up there. There's the one of, that I was talking about earlier in which I walked into the kitchen. I obviously scared it. Uh, it saw me, but it was not expecting me to, to suddenly be there. But there have been, like I mentioned, the stone lion in uh, earlier. And I remember during that investigation, the, the shadows that we saw were really like, you know, shadows that were darting into rooms and, you know, going through doorways and what have you. And, you know, I don't... I. I I don't think that they necessarily saw us or maybe even, you know, they may not have even known that we were there. They seem to be caring about their, their business. But who's to know? I mean, maybe they did see us and they're like, okay, I don't want to be where the humans are right now. So I'm going to go over here. Um, So there's no way to know for sure, but it's possible. Yeah. And I have to be honest about that as well. Um, Good friend and uh, former ghost hunters cast member, Britt Griffith text me that question to ask you. So, Oh, okay. It came from a very good place. He he texted me that and asked me if I wanted to play Call of Duty later. Those are the things on his mind. So, (laughs) anyway, um, nice. Yeah. So we're we're almost out of time here. You uh, you must have another project in the works. What what are you working on now? Well, yeah. Right now, um, I'm working on. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. The docu series on shadow phenomenon. So, um, like I said, you know, at the Conjuring House with. uh, with Carl and Keith Johnson and then uh, Mineral Springs Hotel. So that's, we've got about six episodes in that, and we're looking to, to have that out here at the beginning of, of 2021. Uh, I have a couple of books that I'm working on as well. Uh, surprise, surprise, uh, <laughs> on the Alaska Triangle is one of them. <laughs> nice. And uh, the other one is uh, The Shadow Dimension, which is really uh, going to piggyback off of that docuseries that I'm working on right now. So um, you have a number of different things in the works at the moment. Well, your work is always excellent, and we always uh, appreciate you coming on to talk about it here. Before I let you go, uh, where can people get a hold of the books? It's a great—this is the giving season, and I'm sure our listeners know people that would be interested in in reading your books uh, in addition to themselves. So where can people get them? Yeah, absolutely. You can go to MikeRicksecker.com. Right now I'm running a lot of different— uh, holiday special. So if you want to autograph the book straight from me, I actually have those discounted right now. Of course, you could also, you know, go out to Amazon and, and pick up a plethora of the books there. But uh, yeah, MikeRicksecker.com will we'll link you up to all of that. And uh, Mike, are you staying healthy? Your family good? Everybody okay, given the weirdness that's going on around not just the country, but the world? Um, and my My direct family is doing fine, but I do have an aunt and uncle in a nursing home uh, in in Parma, Ohio, right now, where uh, both have contracted COVID. My my aunt has a pretty mild case of it. She'll probably be all right, but my uncle's real really battling right now. So oh, we have to keep putting out prayers for him. At the yeah, moment. yeah. Well, our, our entire audience will certainly uh, send love and prayers um, and, for, and hope for a speedy recovery. But appreciate you sharing all of this information with us tonight, Mike. Always great to have you on the program. You're a good friend, and I appreciate you being here tonight. Absolutely, JV. Always appreciate it, and you enjoy your holiday season. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by JV Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.